Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Would the Smart Party Do? It's been a little while. We're still in lockdown. There's all kinds of things going on, but we're going to get barbaric on this podcast. So with me, as always, is my mighty feud companion, Baz. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm flexing. Can you tell? Rubbing some oil into my massive thighs. I'm glad this is audio only now. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing my tresses into the breeze like a bad Bon Jovi video. And we've got some special guests to help us out with our topic. So we've got with Pantherish Grace, uh, Matt from Steve Forge Games. How are you doing, Matt? I, I am coiled like a python. Good. <laughs> that's that's what I wanted to hear. Again, I'm glad I've not got an actual image of that. And uh, one of the writers for the Conan line, amongst other hot RPG products. So we've got Mr. Rich August. How are you doing, Rich? Very well, thanks. Have you got any Conan-like <laughs> adverbs or uh, other like things you'd like to add? Uh, I have a, a Jaguar's readiness for this conversation. Beautiful. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll, I'll spring forward with my tigerish grace at some point with more questions. So the topic for this evening, we thought, given that it's, uh, I believe I'm, I'm informed by one of my special guests, the 84th anniversary of the demise of Howard <laughs> and indeed, the release date for uh, one of the Conan books for Cole, which Jason Durrell reliably informs me he took up the line developer role purely on the basis that he could have this book in the line. So that's the last of the Kickstarter books out now. Uh, we should talk about Conan, uh, role playing therein, swords and sorcery, or swords and sandals, as it's sometimes called, and all those kind of like heroic games. And thus, we have this panoply a fine guest to discuss the topic. Uh, Rich, you've written quite a bit for Conan, so do you just want to kind of start us off on the new iteration of the Conan game, perhaps how you got involved or or why you wanted to write for it? Yes, yeah, so I've written on 11 of the 20 books which have been released for the 2D20 uh, version of Conan, and I got involved when I was uh, whoring myself out to any company that would have me. And I, uh, I was given Jason, Jason Durrell's uh, email by Chris Birch at Modiphius and sent him an, an adventure pitch. He didn't like the first one. He didn't like the second one, but he really liked the third one, which ended up being called The Thousand Eyes of Almag Bell, which is in the uh, Jewel Sandals, a uh, Jewel Thrones of the Earth, rather, the adventure collection. Are we playing the first or the second one at the moment? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're playing the one that I make up each and every week. Oh, I, uh, so I, I ended up being lead writer on that book and then basically ended up contributing a lot to, you know, the, some stuff to the core book and kind of went from there. So the 2D20 version is the, the first version which deliberately eschews any post-Robert E. Howard Conan material. Because obviously after Howard's death, People like uh, Lynn Carter and, uh, and Sprague de Camp, Al Sprague de Camp, and then later on Robert Jordan and various different writers have written and added their pastiche material to the Conan world. Some of it good, some of it less so. We wanted to get back to the the foundational texts, which hopefully we have done so. Can I be controversial right from the beginning and say I grew up on the El Sprague de Camp books and I love them. I, in fact, enjoy them more than the originals. I think there's lots of great stuff in the pastiche material. My first ever encounter with uh, Conan was actually uh, the Robert Jordan books. 
which have an awful, like far more boobs in them than anything Robbie Howard ever wrote. Yeah. Uh, which, as a kind of twelve-year-old, when I found them in the library, was uh, was quite illuminating. Oh, right. But, but, <laughs> exactly. Look at this. Have you read this one? Voyager, which one's that? Voyager in bondage. It's not a Conan book, but it is a swords and sorcery one. Simon Finch. If you want boobs in a book, and <laughs> when you're when you're like sixteen or fourteen, this was this, this was a miracle. This book. That's. I mean, that. But that's one of the things that you get in pastiche Conan. Yeah. So like like Robbie Howard realized when he because like he's his first conan stories his first conan story was a cull story that he rewrote it's called the cull version is by this act i rule and cull is a much more thoughtful character than conan so there's a there's a there's literally a story called the mirrors of tuzan thun where cull spends most of the story staring into mirrors and thinking deep thoughts those didn't sell in huge numbers like howard wanted to so right. he started writing them with a focus on violence and black magic, and then later, sex. Right. So that's when you get the, the archetypal sword and sorcery heroine, who is nearly always wearing barely anything, breathes very heavily a lot, probably because, you know, proportionally, her lungs are not su sufficient to actually keep her up. Certainly if you look at most of Frank Frazetta's art and stuff. And, you know, usually uh, often clinging to Conan, and asking for his help but they were that was deliberate he he kind of that wasn't something he was especially interested in certainly if you look at his his biography it was more about the kind of great barbarian and a clash of civilization and nature and, and things like that but they sold and if you look at the covers for the weird tales where conan is the major feature they nearly always feature the most salacious possible scene so like the most famous one is from Oh, I can't remember the name of the story, but it's it's a woman sort of chained up being whipped by another woman, both neither of whom are wearing anything. Um, no Conan there at all. But it is a Conan story. Okay. Uh, Baz, how, how did you get into this? <laughs> I feel like we might be drifting into teenage reminiscence. Well, my teenage reminiscence is very different, actually. So I was kind of a precocious reader, as I guess a lot of us were, and I'm sure most of our audience were as well. 70s 80s little yellowed paperbacks lots of stuff that was pulp but i didn't know it was called pulp just then uh fritz lieber michael moorcock tolkien obviously all that kind of stuff and loads of science fiction as well but i think perhaps bizarrely looking back i didn't read any any howard i didn't read any lovecraft either lovecraft came along with call of cthulhu the role-playing game i'd never heard of it before then so by the time i became aware of conan through role-playing it was a bit late and then I realised that I actually I had been reading them, but I read the Savage Sword of Conan comics that were imported into the UK with uh, Barry Windsor Smith on art duties, possibly even writing duties at the time, I'm not sure. And I remember that because I'm also called Barry and there are, there are astonishingly few cool Barrys in the world. It's one of those terrible names that nobody christens their kids anymore. So I think I, think I started reading it because it was drawn by a bloke called Barry. That's worse than the boobs thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's um it's all as a role players are kind of drawn to the idea of the the classic barbarian figure where they they you know going out and doing stuff and being powerful and mighty and then having evil sorcerers with black magic that's like quite a, a an iconic kind of thing you can get your head around that quite easily can't you compared to a lot of games where you you have to sort of think what do I do the idea of being Conan or some Hercanian thief or as a Moran assassin, 
or Red Sonia or something like that that allows people to jump into the game quite easily. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, and um, it's uh, it's also it's replicating all the other media that uh, that I was being introduced to with fantasy that was steeped in things like Ray Harryhausen movies. I, I couldn't tell whether that was Conan-ish or not. I wasn't that sophisticated. Uh, but Jason the Argonauts appears to me to be of the same kind of brand of adventure. Um, and it's really easy to, to put yourself in those situations and hope that your role-playing game can deliver those kind of thrills with swords, sandals, sultry sorceresses, and anything else beginning with S. <laughs> Serpents and followers of Sat, surely. Yeah. So how how easy was it to write stuff for it, Rich? Because I guess one thing you've got to bear in mind is there is a body of work and certain expectations from fans. So did you worry too much about what people might think about what you've invented and written, That it, whether they think it should fit? Because I, I guess you've got that when you've got a fandom. That if you write a D&D adventure, it's not quite as hard. But if you write something based on an IP, people will have views about whether it's inverted commas right or not. So... I've written for a few games with demanding fandoms and, and the Conan one, Conan fandom has definitely tended to be more extreme in their views. Either they, they really, really love something or, or they're not fans at all. Balancing, so the problem is that Howard deliberately left major gaps in his stuff. He wasn't interested in, in world building as we'd understand it now. You know, there's no, there's no coherent magic system or anything like that. He's not, he basically started writing fantasy because he couldn't be bothered doing all the research that historical fiction necessitated. So he focused on on kind of using the things from history that, that interested him, that he thought were cool, and then putting a fantastic spin on them in order to allow him to just focus on, on the cool. So he's kind of one of the first, obviously, rule of cool writers. Uh, and and getting that is, is kind of easy because all the major cool stuff in Conan is still cool. Climbing towers to fight evil wizards is still cool. Weird aliens uh, with, you know, knowledge of Earth's deep history is still cool, as Call of Cthulhu shows us. You know, the base elements are, are still there. The problem is when you're trying to create something slightly more solid that players can interact with, because there isn't a lot of that in Howard's original stories, that doesn't directly pertain to what Conan's doing at a given moment. Mm. So you are having to, despite despite the game kind of trying to move away from pastiche, we are at the same time having to do a little bit of it ourselves. And obviously you're, you're doing that from the main, you know, drawing as closely as possible from Howard's stories and extrapolating as closely as possible from Howard's stories and not, you know, from... Uh, other fantastical traditions but it is it is a balancing act uh, and it, it is difficult to get the right thing fortunately we had somebody like uh, Jason Dural cracking the whip uh, <laughs> and uh, and ensuring that nobody went too far off the reservation which you know is very easy to do I think because there's not a whole lot there to draw from sometimes you do have to go to your own well and that gets polluted with things like uh, forgotten realms and other fantastical traditions that you everybody has in their in their kind of collective unconscious now sure so uh, matt you you picked because i probably should say for our listeners we've all been playing a conan game of various sorts for a few weeks now uh, you picked uh, basically a conan character yeah so what is it about that that you think 
you can do that you can't with say a fighter in D D or what's because I guess some people might level the accusation against Conan type material that it's quite one dimensional. Mm. That you are a mighty few barbarian, you go on hitting things, you're not very clever. That that like is a way some people might perceive it. So like what would your answer to that be? Is it that you like that kind of thing or that you like it as a break or that actually it's more complex and there's there's other things you get from it? I kind of it's an interesting question actually and I think one of the things that we'll probably talk about at some point in time tonight will be what makes it a Conan game and not just a fantasy game hmm. um, and and how does the system support that and I cut into kind of the end of that conversation I'm not sure how important the system is to support that it's more a state of mind of the players and the, and the GM but I don't tend to play barbarians in D&D because I don't like the idea of rage and, and being angry and losing control but I do like the idea of barbarians and I, you know I grew up with this stuff you know all this stuff that was published in the 80s this was you know I had a voracious appetite for it I couldn't read enough of it so deep deep in my fantasy background is a love of a roguish barbarian who does um, outlandish things takes massive chances always seems to come through with some kind of heroic heave of his of his mighty legs and um, and I I kind of like Baz has kind of described my playing style my running style sometimes is I, I run it like I stole it and I like to play it like I stole it as well and I just feel like the four of us were experienced enough that a barbarian would be a hilarious amount of fun because I could just throw a load of stuff at Richard and it all I didn't care or know whether the system could deal with it or not but I knew that he could so we we just did some awesome stuff so yeah I, I kind of oh, I just like playing barbarian like big barbarians hilarious <laughs> it's just it's just brilliant fun yeah really but you don't good. play it for comedy mate if you don't mind me saying I think Conan games um, and Conan tropes can slide over into Gonzo, Thrud the Barbarian out of White Dwarf, you know, Conan yeah. the Librarian, all that kind of stuff. But the way that we've been playing it, I'm going to say it's been pretty straight and I've enjoyed it for that as well. Does Conan, I mean, Conan must be so easy to tip over, not just into pastiche, like you say, Rich, but into just stupidity. I would hate that element of it if it was just comedy. Yeah. Do, do you know, um, I think that the. The barbarian that I played is probably the closest to my natural self, my natural personality. <laughs> that says a lot. That explains <laughs> I, yeah. Mr. Cortes, <laughs> that was what you trying to say to us. <laughs> Seriously, if I could get away with it, I would do it. It's like, <laughs> like stop skipping leg day, then, man. <laughs> yeah. Even what's happening to statues in the country at the moment. <laughs> And what Borger does to statues, that's quite worrying. Weirdly, so that's a re that is a reflection of me. So that's a re reality of my, my, if I go out drinking with my mates, in the right circumstances, I will wake up in the morning and I will have just some random stuff that I have picked up from the Indian restaurant or a traffic cone or so, like a for sale sign or something. horse. Yeah, an unconscious <laughs> horse. Just random stuff, like a shopping trolley full of rocks. I've had one time. I don't even remember how that happened. So it's just random, unidentified, drunken things that happen. And that for me is brilliant thing about playing a barbarian in a fantasy game. Just do that stuff. My favourite scene was when we when you said, right, we're leaving town. And Richard, you were like, well, how are you leaving town? I'm like, well, 
literally going to cut to the scene where I turn up with three stolen horses galloping down the street and uh, Portia and um, uh, Azir was coming out of the uh, the tavern and, <laughs> and I had the town guard chasing after me. That was the best thing ever because there was no setup. There was no need to do all the sneaking around, stealing it. Oh, how are you going to do it? Make a roll. Blah, blah, blah. No, just cut to the brilliant bit, which is Borga roaring up with four stolen horses and us like and the town guard chasing after us as we galloped out the city gates. Which is authentic to Robert E. Howard Conan. I mean, Queen of the Black Coast starts with Conan running along a dock and leaping onto a leaving ship. And only when he's leapt onto the ship with these people baying behind him does he explain that, you know, basically the reason he's there is because he was in court and then got fed up with the judge, so just cut his head off. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And then run away. And that's, it's, it is. It, it, I think Howard as kind of the first real rule of cool writer kind of works. That's what he was. That's interesting because I, I fundamentally believe in the rule of cool when it comes to role playing. Like if it's cool enough, you should be able to do it. Like whether you're a GM or whether you're a player, if your player comes up with something that he thinks is cool, he or she thinks is cool, just let him do it because it is cool. And it's the same when you're running stuff. Now I think that applies more in a setting like Conan than it perhaps does in other things. So for example, if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, I don't know what you come up with that's cool that you can just do and get away with because there's got to be an element of you're fighting against oppressive forces and no matter what you do you're really just holding back the tide for a little while that kind of thing so. yeah it's like the uh, Vison last night wasn't it or Vasson that we played last night doesn't really work with the rule of cool approach to life no and I don't think it's supposed to be in a horror game so I think yeah, yeah it did, kind of definitely leads itself to like you want players doing cool things so we've discussed Max Barbarian uh, Baz, do you want to describe your character a little bit and perhaps why you picked what you did and why you think it, it would work in that setting? Sure. So my character is uh, is called Portia. Uh, she's Aqualonian. Picked entirely because I think I remember the name from the comics back in the day. I remember Sumeria and Aqualonia. And <laughs> don't remember much of the other ones. Uh, doesn't matter though, does it? So off we go. So uh, she's highborn but cast out due to uh, a prodigious drinking and gambling habit. And that, and that that feeds into what Matt was saying as well. These are the kind of people who are really entertaining at parties, our characters, but they've all had to be thrown out of various places before for just breaking the rules of etiquette or even just the actual law, come to think of it. So they are kind of very uh, instinctive, primal characters who are very proactive and almost anarchistic as well, just do what they like and damn the consequences. And I, t I take all my role-playing cues for her from another source, which would be The Three Musketeers. Again, classic 70s films for me, with those kind of um, those aspects of daring do and picaresque kind of getting into escapades and, and um, having a cliffhangers at the beginning, the middle and the end, because that's where all the fun stuff is happening. And I don't know if I'm playing it right. I'm, gonna, I'm hopefully going to learn a lot from this podcast as well, because I have a feeling that Conan is not entirely that game. I think that might be the surface level and uh, and the literature and the gaming can go deeper and wider than that if it if you wanted it to. It could go into horror. It could go into uh, the cosmic kind of realms of stuff and space aliens that Richard alluded to as well. It's like, I don't, I don't know where they fit in, but it, it seems like there's an awful lot to explore, but it's good fun to start with someone who's got a rapier and uh, and a deadly smile. Yeah, agreed. And just to round it off, I've got Hazir, who's a, a Zamoran thief. So really picked for contrast to the other two characters, who are a bit more limelighty and 
either strong or dexterous and add in your pantherish uh, other words you want to do around that to describe them but i thought i should have someone who's more in the shadows and stuff like that but agree that even with that i'm still pretty much doing stuff all the time and seeing whether i get away with it afterwards or not that kind of approach to it i think that's the sort of game mm. do you think that's something that's generally broadly true of the the kind of game as as the writing team and, and development team are writing it are they are they looking for people to play to the hilt do you think rich or is it was it written more or less like any other sort of game that you come across i think there is the main difficulty in character classes or archetypes in conan is is finding people who aren't going to feel too left out when the combat starts mm. um, because you know it is easy to it, it's relatively easy to go okay well you're a barbarian you can fight everybody even a thief can you know you're there with your crossbow or your, your bow you're hidden behind everybody dealing damage um, finding things for the quieter characters to do can be difficult particularly given that magic in Conan is always a bad thing there are no you don't have wizards and sorcerers on your team there, there are rules for kind of doing that but the cost is high you know it's 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 Lovecraftian sorcery it's going to rot your brain if you use it um, which means that it's a, a little harder to be a scholar or a thinker or somebody like that than it is to be a kind of active martial character yeah. but you know clever players always find ways of, of working around that I think sure so we don't really want to get too much into deep dive of the system, I don't think. But I think it's fair to say that after a couple of uh, goals at the 2D20 system, for the, I think we've already sort of alluded to it, talk about characters, the way we were playing, which is a lot of players doing a lot and skipping scenes and getting on with stuff, arguably the 2D20 system wasn't great for us personally. I know the people's love it, so that's fine. Great for me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was great for barbarian hitting here. Matt got two D20s, Gaz got zero, and I got zero. That's why it's called 2D20. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you, know you why, what it was. Because we, we, um, we did the online character generation thing, didn't we? Mm -hmm. And none of us had really read books. None of us really knew what we were doing. We were just picking stuff that sounded cool and, and in line with our characters. And then in play, it turned out that I, I genuinely think I'd accidentally min-maxed the perfect barbarian and was doing four and five times as much damage as the next nearest person with ease. Not even, you know, going into any effort about it. Just on average, yeah. Just on average, 15 damage. And you're like, wow, I can do like four and feel good <laughs> about myself. Uh, Porsche was, was very, very hard to hit. True. True. Um, Bars had kind of managed to to optimise the perfect defence character. But yeah, again by accident. Was not, not much good at... at Dealing out punishment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would say that yeah, you're right, Rich. It, it, it became, and considering we did it largely just sort of grabbing stuff off the shelf at random to put the characters together. I think we got three very Conan-esque characters, so the the game system allowed us to do that, and encouraged me to go back to the hefty tome to look through the life path stuff to see what I could have done if I was a bit more knowledgeable. And I think there's um there's probably an awful lot of fun to be had there replicating or emulating your characters and fine-tuning it and that, that's a glorious tradition in RPGs there's plenty of meat on the bones there however having gone into it with just like a, a cartoon level knowledge of Conan <laughs> it, it generates a very very intimidating set of character sheets 
at the end of it. <laughs> and then you realise, actually, it's not that complex in play. It really isn't that complex in play. I can see why people do use 2D20, but it still left me scratching my head. I found the, uh, like the dice reporting and the post-roll calculations can take a lot of getting used to. And there was a lot of different things that trigger on your roll that, that just slowed everything down, which felt a little bit incongruous with the type of game that we were trying to play. Mm. Like, you know, as of, and I don't want to steal our thunder, but like we, we, we then converted onto a different system, didn't we, after a, after a few weeks? And that's the night and day in terms of how quick and easy that is to resolve. Yeah, so I think an aspect of it as well is that we were playing online. So I know Jason ran something for Virtual Kraken um, a week or two ago. That's part of it. And he was running Conan, but he chose uh, the system we chose in the end as well, Barbara's of Murray, just because running the game online, you want something that's less complex in yeah. terms of working out the answers and just to be able to move on. So there's an element of being online, I think. But yeah, as well, I think it's a system that benefits from you knowing it and getting into it, for example. So I think it was probably no more complicated than, for example, if I had to run a 10th level D&D &D character, there'd be all kinds of like abilities and stuff I've got. And I'd true. be like, I don't try to work out what triggered off what and how often to use my stuff. Yeah, true. So I think familiar, familiarity and campaign play probably brings some of that to the game. But yeah, like I said, for us, we switched to Barbarians of Lemuria, which I was worried would be a bit too simple for us, or for me personally, because I like a bit of crunch. But it's turned out to be pretty good, I think. What, what are your guys' opinions? Go on, Baz, you go. I'm quite happy to fill in the gaps afterwards. I think we're <laughs> of an accord, though, aren't we? Yeah, I really like Barbarians of Lemuria, and um, I'm now the proud possessor of more than 100 fantasy role-playing games. And I didn't have that one in the list. I don't know how, but um, I have Crazy. I know. I was very, very aware of its, of its reputation, though. And people have always spoken highly of that system and and about how hackable it is as well so i've always seen it when i've been looking around for other genres or whatever and it, and it comes up even if you're looking at something i don't know neo tokyo bubblegum pop cyberpunk you'll find barbarians of lemuria gets a mention at some point um so i thought it must yeah. be good for something and i thought i wonder if anyone's using it to play stuff with barbarians in <laughs> so it turns out you can <laughs> um i really like the system i love the book it's such a lovely read and it is obviously a bit of a pastiche as well it's certainly not a comedy game um, it, it really sort of, you know, it kind of dings my bell for uh, for the tone that it's written in. It's a huge amount of resource in there for what is ostensibly a very light game. It's actually packed with adventure hooks and cool art and, and ideas that ping off the page. And, and Gaz always says this, but it's the sort of thing we get an adventure idea every paragraph on some of those pages. And you find yourself on a scribble stuff down. Ludicrously simple to get onto a character sheet. Converted my character across into a piece of notepaper in under 15 minutes and it wasn't exactly a head scratcher and then in play I carried on playing the character I didn't have to make any adjustments I didn't have to drive it in a different way I could still say the same actions and, and Rich adjudicated what we wanted to do and it, and it felt like the dice fell naturally into place for what we were doing it didn't feel whiffy it didn't feel stupid it was it just carried the story effortlessly frankly so I'm actually a really big fan of it and I've gone back since to look at other ways of using it, in, well, funnily enough, in other things. I, I like it a lot. I think, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I concur entirely. It, do you know, I, I had looked at that a couple of years ago. A mm. um, friend of mine, we were sort of throwing around some ideas of... He, he has a particular pathological hatred of D&D. &D. Um, 
So whenever we talk about gaming, my, my natural default position is, well, it does 5e work. If not, then we'll look around for, for other stuff. Um, and he suggested Barbarians of Lemuria and being a bit of a art snob, I kind of dismissed it because the art isn't great. It's it's just like quite low low cost artwork, in my opinion. Now I don't want to be dismissive of the people who did it because they can draw far, uh, they're far more talented at illustrating and drawing than I ever will be. But from a critical professional eye, I would love that book to to have some budget thrown at it and get some decent layout and some really high quality art in there. I think you could be talking at you know looking at a, an absolute classic of a game system. The one thing I would caveat about Barbarians of Lemuria is is if you're smart enough, and, and most of us are, it's a very gameable system. So if you have that type of group who is quite min-maxy, quite able to spot the, the bits where the system wasn't necessarily tested properly or play-tested extensively enough, there's a lot of little edge cases that you can really work some advantage in. So the best example is the way you level up um, a stat is you pay the price of the next level up in XP, right? So if you've got strength of, um, and then you know you have to pay the price of the next level plus your current level, don't you? Yeah. So if you've got a strength of four, then you want to go to five, that actually costs you nine XP. And we were earning, what, one and two XP every other, every other session kind of thing. So that's quite a large investment to jump from strength four to five, and it represents a fairly significant impact on your character's output. But there's a feat in there that you can take, which only costs you two advances, which increases your strength by plus one. So just take that, and suddenly you've saved yourself seven points of of, of advance. So there's it's it's a there's 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 um, exploits that are available in the system if you go looking for them. And I think if you really went maliciously after the exploits, you could see a very big disparity between a maliciously min-max character versus a played-in-the-spirit-of-the-game character. I think you'd see a notable difference between the two. So That's, that's true of many games, though. That's not, and that's playstyles, and that's the people at the table. I don't, yeah, I don't think that... To a great degree, I just think the more a game is play-tested, the less that occurs. But I, that... I d disagree with you. Because you're, you're coming, I think you're coming from the game design, like a board game designer point of view, like and a real strong designer. I think you're perhaps overestimating how much playtesting some role playing games get. Oh no! Trust me, I, I, <laughs> I look at them. When you the odd exploit, it's like um, I think it's a game that exists for one of the reasons it works so well for Conan, and one of the reasons all three characters, Borger, Hazir, Porsche could be ported so easily over is because it's such a accurate realization of the genre and genre tropes. And it relies, I think it does, I, I think it is a gameable system, but I think a lot of highly and well-realized genre emulators are because you have to give people the opportunities to achieve a, ki a certain kind of character mm. and trust them that the reason they're playing, say, Barbarians of Lemuria is because they want to play a game that's like a Robbie Howard or a Fritz Lieber short story. Yeah. And what you don't get in a Howard or Fritz Lieber short story is the bit where a 10th level fighter goes into a room of second level goblins and wastes 
all of them without even thinking about it. Yeah. You'll have the bit where, you know, Conan takes three guards down without even thinking about it, but then he'll face somebody who cuts him across the ribs or something. <laughs> you have to, I think, kind of, it's, it's a game where you have to trust the players because yeah. it's a, you have to trust they want to be playing that kind of No, game. and I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I guess using the word malicious was, was possibly um, the wrong kind of inference because I, I do think of one of my buddies who I've been gaming with for like 25, 30 years now, 25 years at least um guy called Sai. he can't help himself he is a we call him the book licker and he just sits there and he just licks the book over and over until he extracts all the flavor from it and gets the min max character so he's the guy in savage worlds who has a rapier and a buckler because it gives him his maximum parry and doesn't affect his dps he's that guy right so he won't be able to help himself and i do worry if if the disparity between characters is too great, it can affect everyone's enjoyment of it, and and so a game needs to be played by people who are willing to to operate within the social contract that the the, the boundaries of which that game allows. So a game like D and D, which which has been played by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, you know, countless millions of hours of gameplay gone into that. They're constantly um, uh, FAQing it and, and updating it and rebalancing things based on feedback they're getting. It's really, really hard to utterly min-max a character in 5e that overshadows the other characters. You can still find a min-max combo. You can still find some cool HK stuff to do, but you're not going to do it to the point where you're making other players around the table feel inadequate. Sure. And I think that's the bit that... But it's, it's player contract. You know, it, but the, the 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 more susceptible system is to that, the more the temptation will be for players of that ilk to fall into that trap. So if we we think about that um, that in the sense of Conan, that brings up. I think that takes me to to a place where you have to talk about disparity between characters, but from a different angle. Conan is is a character as well as a setting, and Conan is the hero in in those books as well as the setting in the same way that Buffy is or Batman is or, or those kind of things. So, I mean, you could say like that party structure in Conan, and I'm not a scholar of the books at all, but I, I don't recall him wandering around with five or six other people and them all having to be reasonably equally weighted in effectiveness, either narratively or from a game perspective. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you could say then that both 2D20 version and Barbarians of Lemuria are basically just falling into that kind of trope as well like you know one of you gets to be indiana jones and the rest of you probably don't have the the pure punching power of those guys but you might have the narrative power so i don't know what it's like in the conan stories is rich talked about like non-combat abilities are there four or five characters moving around as a group and all being effective no there are usually conan often meets other people who are kind of relatively equally skilled to him so there's there's Taurus of Nemedia in, in the Tower of the Elephant, who is like who Conan concedes is a better thief than him, but then gets killed. <laughs> um, there's the, there's Valeria of the, the Red Blades or the Red Brotherhood, who's like a a, a woman pirate in, in red nails, which is a, a great story. She's a, an awesome character and is a kind of fencer, etc. But she still she she still requires rescuing by Conan, as you as you point out, but Conan is the hero. He's the person who who does the coolest thing in the stories and is always going to survive. But, that, but, but the writing of that time was a lot more simplistic and had 
far simpler cast of characters compared to a lot of the novels we read nowadays with things like Game of Thrones with a cast of 50 key characters that you need to keep track of. It's what was interesting... Sorry, Bess. It's, it's not a criticism of the books at all. It's just that if you want to play role-playing in that style, if you come to it from being a fan of the books or whatever, do you want, is it okay in an RPG to have different levels of power? Is it okay for Brogar, your character, to be five times as good as everybody else at anything that revolves around a dice you know I, I'm not saying one way or the other that it is or it isn't but it's like you know a lot of your trad games try to put everybody on an equal keel and you were talking Matt about mechanical balance to try and ensure that that happens is that actually necessary yeah. in a Conan emulator I think we're close to hitting the nail on the head and I'm happy to kind of jump off the fence on on one side I think the I think it's fine for one character to overshadow the other characters in specific circumstances where it's their turn to have the spotlight, but but it shouldn't be able to carry the spotlight through all the different types of scenes. So we had accidentally or instinctively three characters that really complemented each other well. We had you with your courtly graces and your ability to interact with people and negotiate and, and do all that kind of FaceTime stuff. We had Borger who was great if there was a locked door and, and some demons to kind of slay. And um, uh, we had Hazir, who was great at sneaking around, stealthing about and, and, and getting us information and, and doing that. So the spotlight quite happily shone around the, the, the party that we had. But if we had had three characters and you were like an Aquilonian swordsman and I was hmm. Borg of the Barbarian and someone else was playing like a Zentish knife fighter, well, I don't know whether that might not have created a bit more of a mess, you know, and it might have exaggerated itself a little bit more i think i think you know i think we're possibly dancing on the head of a pin to be honest with you i think um it's not possible to come up with a system that perfectly caters for for every single kind of player so i guess the takeaway for me is if you've got a player that you think might be tempted by some really horrendous um exploits just kind of keep an eye on it and make sure they stay within the spirit of the game because i do think that the nature of barbarians is is you could kind of break it if you if you really went after it that's just my view i think oh, that's true of many other games i don't think that's a particular one of this Doesn't make it right though guys <laughs> well and people have different play styles you know <laughs> the, the the stat uh exploit as you call it you mentioned like we could all use that it's not like this one the other side of the coin is that it's not like there's a fighter class and only fighters get to have that like all the all the talents that you can buy, pretty much anyone can get hold of and build the character how they want to. No, that's true. So it's it's not like it's you, everybody picks a particular subset, so they all get better things that people in other sets that don't. Because right. it's an open system, it means people can grab bits from all over the place and have four different careers. So yeah. I can I've added some alchemist to my thief assassin, whatever else I've got hunter to add extra bits in. So I think from, as a grab bag system, I'm less worried about it having to be like super tight on. Which which aspects you pick and which advantages, yeah. and some some are going to be clearly better than others. That's just the way it's written. I think the thing the the like what we've all talked about uh, and danced around is is how easy it was to translate from the two D twenty to to the barbarian system. Yeah, super easy. Yeah, it was it was the loosey goosey nature of barbarians that allowed us to paint in the gaps that are left by the system. And us painting in those gaps is what created a strong impression that it was very easy to translate across. If you think about it, the system didn't really underpin, oh, this is definitely Porsche because it's got exactly the same abilities. 
but it felt like Porsche because the system allowed enough gaps for you to fill them in with your imagination and your 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 kind of colouring of the character, as it were. Let me um, let me ask a question about system, which hopefully you you all have a good opinion on. I hope is that two um, D twenty it was wasn't written for Conan, wasn't written for the Conan game. Two D twenty is um, a house system that's been used in lots of different applications with tweaks and twists along the way. Barbarians of Lemuria mm. is obviously written for Barbarians of Lemuria, even though, I mean, ironically, yeah. perhaps people try and take the system out of it and use it for other things. If you're trying to emulate, and emulation is a loaded term, I keep saying that, perhaps I need to qualify that, but if you are trying to emulate uh, Conan as a genre, then is a, uh, is, a, is a generic game your best call, or are games better uh, if they are bespoke if they're written specifically to emulate that one genre, it, it will come as no surprise to know I have an incredibly strong view on this. But I'm yeah. I'm going to talking a lot though, haven't you? <laughs> I'm going to keep my powder dry and see what other people think. Rich, you were going to say something. Do you want to jump in? I, I was. Uh, it's not specifically germane to Marcy's point, but maybe Bring I can anyway. together. So I, I think part of the issue is like when you were talking about the grab bag of different exploits and feats you can take in, in Barbarians and Lemuria is that because of how we are conditioned to think as gamers, where your first point of contact is nearly always D&D, and there's this sense of ownership over certain uh, certain traits, certain niches and, things. niches and things, the idea of being able to go, well, no, I want a bit of that, and I want a bit of that, and I want a bit of that, is, is quite alien. And actually that's far truer to the sword and sorcery characters than the, uh, the, D &D, the kind of strict delineation of roles which D&D gives you. So it's like, in, in to, to move on from Howard a little bit to get to Lieber, you know, Fafford and the Grey Mouser are both amazing swordsmen. And uh, the Grey Mouser is also a wizard and he's also a thief <laughs> and he's also hyper intelligent. And so you've got, you've, in, in a way, I think the, the genre elements actually have to push through certain role-playing um, tropes. Because, you know, we, we've reached a stage now where role-playing has its own set of tropes, which when you're trying to emulate a particular gene generic influence, actually clash against mm -hmm. each other. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons 2D20 does work with Kona. Uh, it's, it's maybe... 10% crunchier than I'd, I'd have liked. I'd have preferred something like they got with um, John Carter and Mars. But because it has fewer of those built-in ideas about what your character should be able to do, you can you can build an archetype, you can build a specific archetype, but you can broaden it out more. You can start looking at different skills. You just might not always be quite as good at those as people who are, uh, you know, who start with them. Whereas, you know, in something like D&D, &D, and I love D&D &D as much as anybody, you know, if you are not a barbarian, you are not getting rage. You are going to have to take a level in barbarian. And that's, that gives you a very different approach to an understanding of fantasy, because there, everybody is a, a particular tool in a tool set with a specific use. Yeah. Uh, a sword and sorcery game it's more about how you differentiate the characters and less about how you differentiate the numbers on the paper, I think. Yeah, I, 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 and I like, 
I like that because I think for Conan as well, like certainly a lot of the books, if you look for across all the authors, but it's Conan the the pirate, Conan the mercenary, Conan, like you had like loads of different jobs. So it feels like you want a system where you can do lots of different things at certain points as either the demands of the scenario or you feel like you want to change or you go to a different setting in a different city or whatever it might be. Mm. I think that ability to be flexible and pick up bits and pieces that you want or need is fine. And then that's probably on the players to make sure that you've all got your own niche protection. So I don't suddenly start, you know, jacking up the raids and end up being like impinging on bogus territory by suddenly being like really strong and having a two-handed axe. That'd just be weird. Mm. But there's like enough scope to do other things, perhaps become like an excellent archer or something or whatever it might be. I don't know. I forgot what Bazzi's original question was now. But <laughs> Generic or bespoke? So <laughs> let me, I'll, I'll flesh it out with a further example before Matt gives us his, his massive opinion. So uh, like, uh, does, does, is it a Conan game if it doesn't include rules for carousing and getting drunk? and having a shopping trolley full of rocks in your bed the next morning. Which, you know, a generic game might not have, understandably. <laughs> might, not, might not go to that level of the shopping trolley and rocks random table. Uh, should Conan have that in it to really support that kind of game? And you could say the same about anything you were trying to do. Should the Alien game have something yeah. about, like, specifically about acid and whether it burns through steel or not? You know, that's a terrible example. So that's where I'm getting at. No, I, I, I think, yes, it, it helps. So the Alien game, for example, has got a stress mechanic in it. So as things are going, you get more and more stressed until eventually have to start rolling on the table and bad things might happen to you. You might run off or whatever. But that feels appropriate for that game that there should be something there. And if you're playing Dark Sun, you should care about how much water you've got because it's a really rare commodity and it should be something that you're looking after. And it can fit within the existing real system you've got. You can just put some extra words around it so that people know what they're doing. But I think, yeah, it definitely helps a genre game to have things that that game's about and make them important in that game. Gone, I can see I can see Matt revving up. He's flexing. He's had to keep quiet for like five minutes now. So. <laughs> it just goes against everything that I believe in. Uh, no, uh, I, I, I think given equal levels of uh, design quality, a bespoke system will deliver a far more powerful experience for that game or for that setting than a, than a generic modular system ever will. So I would always try and play a bespoke, a system that's designed bespoke for that setting. I just think it's going to give you a far superior experience. Um, I think one of the things that's worth um, uh, talking about is having wax lyrical about how much we love Barbarians of Lemuria, and um, we certainly do. There were a couple of things that I found a fraction clunky in practice, but when you read them on paper, they, they seemed really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the skill system. Um, so controversially, because I know Baz loves this, but I found the skill system a fraction weird insofar as, and for people who aren't familiar with it, the idea is, is you have three or four backgrounds, you put a number of points into each background, and then if you can reference your background as a, applicable to a thing you want to do, you get that as your skill. So you don't have run, jump, sail, ride, ponies or whatever you just have barbarian thief scholar whatever it is courtesan which which sounds brilliant but what i noticed was it was really hard for for richard when he was refing to ask for a specific role and that short um cut of when you're playing a game like D, &D you go right everyone make a perception check it's like 
what you're trying to say and what we found we were doing was Richard's like, we'll make some kind of perception -y check and we're going, well, I, I've got, a, I'm a barbarian with eyes like an eagle. Can I use that? Sure you can. And you just think, I kind of wish that it just had a perception check and not that kind of wasted interaction. But a slightly controversial view, but I just found on paper, brilliant. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. In practice, it just came across as a fraction clunky because there was too many extra interactions every single time we wanted to make a skill check. I didn't particularly feel that. I think we discussed it slightly after the event and um, Baz suggested a, a, a hack in the parlance of today, which I think is useful in that we get, and I'll ask Rich about this in a second to get his view on it, but I think that you fall in the trap of asking for something like a perception check when there isn't one. I think that leads to some of the confusion perhaps that you're talking about. And what Baz suggested, which we're not going to go with next time, I think, is perhaps looking for, well, this is, this is a mind-like check to see if you can perceive something. Or you just phrase it slightly different, saying you have to use your mind to see if you can work this out. And then it's up to players to come up with an inventive way to use their professions if they're applicable. And if they aren't, or you're thinking too long about it, then you can't think of one, so get on with it, is, is my personal view. Because that's the problem I find in those sort of games, is when you let the players have a choice of what they can add it if they want to quite often players will spend a lot of time thinking about whether they can wangle it in or what else they can get off the sheet to put in there and really if you can't think of something very quickly it's not applicable so stop thinking about it just get on with it and say what you've got away on but the, but the downside is is like you spend all your time uh, coming up with wonderful reasons why you can use your most powerful background that's not a downside so <laughs> okay so I've got a feature so, to my <laughs> this this is this kind of skill system, this kind of wide skill penumbra or player generated skill list, is is reasonably common. No, maybe not common, but I see it more and more than I ever did. So Thirteenth Age has it, like pick your backgrounds. You know, you can be like the uh, the high captain of the Fifteenth Lancers, and um, and then you think, oh, that sounds cool. It is cool. It generates stuff for the game as well. And then you've got, we've all got that player, by the way, Matt, the one that we played with for decades, who is going to lick that book. That's my new favourite term, by the way, the book licker. Right, I've got one. And uh, and he always puts, um, if it's a modern day game, he was always a US Ranger. If it's a fantasy game, he always puts Ninja. If it's any other game, he always puts like, you know, Pirate Captain. And, and I know that he's thinking, I'll use this for every single role. There's nothing I can't do with this. I'm just going to use my Ninja power. And I'm going to press that button every single time. And you kind of your initial reaction is like, oh no way, that needs reining in in some way. That can't be right. But then after a while, and I think I read this in a Thirteenth Age advice book, and it really opened my mind to it. Is go ahead, let them press the ninja button. Press the ninja button all day long. They're having a fantastic time, and every other player in that game knows that that person is a ninja. Every other person in that play in that game knows what that character will do. All they're doing is they are slightly one-dimensional, but what a great dimension! And, you know, it's their dice, it's their game, let them play it. If, when, when you stop thinking about it as a problem, it instantly evaporates and becomes actually like their cool shtick. It's their cool move. If you had one skill, Matt, in your character, and it was Barbarian, and you had five points in it and no points in anything else, yeah, it would feel a bit cheesy, but if we all just lent into it, it would be great. It's just activating Barbarian skill for everything. And it's even better when you're trying to activate it, like get a discount on rooms for the night, 
can I use my barbarian? Well, you tell me how. It just means that you approach that way, the way that Conan would do it, which is you get the desk jockey and you slam his head off the desk until he gives you the keys. Whereas, whereas if you had the skill persuade to give yourself arguably a more rounded character, you you try and persuade them, and nobody wants to see Conan persuading people. You know, everybody wants to see characters be characters. Is that not in itself then a com- a very persuasive argument for just having one background and, and uh, create stronger polarized characters? Well, possibly, and and D and D does that with a class system, and Barbarians of Lemuria kind of does it by giving you four backgrounds and only four points to spend. So you know you end up taking one, which is your big one, isn't it? The one you want to use a lot. I've got like a background with zero points in it. I quite like having it written on my sheet, but I don't think it's ever I've ever had to say it out loud in the game. And I don't mind it. I used to think it, it, that's one of those things where you think this is game destroying, and actually with the right people, because that's always the caveat. It's game enhancing. I think it works just fine. Can it work for years? Probably not, but but you can get a nice short campaign out of it and you're playing two-dimensional characters almost, but in a really full-on way. We've got a character in, or a player in my a gun game and he has clear voice, which has turned out to be in a game where you go around speaking to people and finding out what's wrong. Like, really useful. <laughs> <laughs> so he uses that all the time. But like even after like two or three weeks, he started to say himself like, is it all right if I use clear voice again? I feel like I'm using it all the time. I feel, and he's trying to find ways not to use it. And we had, like, the last island was mainly underwater, so he couldn't use his clear voice, which became a great source of amusement. But it it, it comes down, I think, as best as to a, to a player thing. So one player might want to just press a big button to get the big bonuses all the time. But with a different set of players, you'll want to change it up because you'll get bored of saying the same thing. So you'll want to do different things. Sorry, Rich, we've been excluding you a little bit. Do you want to jump in with your ideas? I was going to say, the thing with backgrounds and stuff like that is and if players want to kind of play this hyper exaggerated two-dimensional character is absolutely and then they'll give them enough rope they'll hang themselves they'll give you plot hooks they'll give you you know so the guy who conan persuades as a you know via the barbarian route of smashing his head into the desk to give him the keys to room well suddenly he's the son of the person who owns this hotel and this hotel is part of a massive chain run by, you know, essentially an underworld gang. And suddenly the, the inn is surrounded by uh, numerous men with bows, all of whom are looking to skewer uh, this, you know, uh, intransigent barbarian. Uh, and that's, I tend to think with rules lighter systems, um, you, you do need to be more experienced. I think you need to understand who you're playing with, what you're trying to achieve, and to some extent you need players who are willing to to invest in it but the lack of the the flexibility that the lack of rules gives you means as a gm you have license to improvise in a way that far more sort of rules consistent systems don't provide for you know in dnd when somebody wants to do something they'll go okay so i'm using this and then i can use this skill and then this means this and you spend time analyzing the character sheet rather than playing the game that's, that's really true uh, and again this sounds like this sounds like i'm dunking on dd i love dd i'm running uh, two campaigns for people i think it's a it's a great game and it can do it, it's a you know a, a brilliant experience but it also comes with a number of uh preconceptions which much lighter systems give you as a GM and your players far more yeah. room to play with. 
Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. And I th we've, we've seen it recently uh, in a game that Baz and I are playing where you can get lost in the trap, which is your character sheet. And you kind of go, and here's the situation in game. Oh, what have I got on my character sheet that can get me out of it? And you're like, well, that's such an anathema yeah. to me on a person. Like my playing style is I don't care what's on my character sheet. I drive Baz to distraction by making stuff up in the scene and going, well, there's a... There's a there's a massive wagon wheel, so of course I'm just going to roll that down the hill and like knock the person over. And Baz is like, "Where the hell did that wagon wheel come from?" You know, it didn't come off my character sheet. I'll tell you that much. I don't mind. Don't make it sound. Oh no, no, you do. You, you I absolutely like it. <laughs> and uh, I, for one, um, am pledging uh, to the next time we play Barbarians of Lumuria to definitely get us a discount in a hotel run by the uh, underworld, and then I will barbarian my way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, there's, a, there's a really good point that's raised there, and there's there is a there's a broader topic on like do players look to their character sheets for answers or do they look elsewhere? When we're playing Conan, I think the answer has got to be that you look to your memories of the Conan stories and you look to Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Conan. That's where you get your ideas from. And no matter the system, if you are looking down to see if you've got like a bigger skill in axe than you have in dagger and what's appropriate this time. You're largely perhaps missing the point of playing a Conan game. That's what makes it different to a fantasy game. You're, you're taking your inspiration not from the game, maybe bizarrely, but from what you know yeah. about the game. It'd be interesting to see what would happen if somebody played Conan who had zero exposure to Conan, which I think is going to be remarkably hard to find that player, by the way, because it's kind of, you know, it's, it's proper mass media now, isn't it? Um, but what are they doing playing Conan anyway? They're probably better off playing something else. You know, we're, 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 our Conan game comes from other other sources than the numbers, doesn't it? Which is perhaps Matt, where where that thing that you were talking about before about unbalanced characters doesn't matter. It doesn't matter so much. Who's looking for that number? You know, you, your bootlickers need not apply. Book bootlickers, not boot bootlickers. <laughs> bootlickers can always apply to my games. I have a special boot. <laughs> they get extra hit points, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I mean. We're sort of getting entangled with the spider cult somehow, we think. Uh, and I've just got images of Jabs L. Jones, but he's got a slightly different hat on for this because he's not he's not the head of a serpent cult, but a spider one this time. So he's going to have some elaborate eight-legged hood that he puts on or something. But you're right. You think to the media and the, the tropes and the, the easy, long-hanging fruit, I guess you call it. But then what makes the game, it must have makes the game of that style, I think. How easy was it for you, Rich, to switch over from running classic 2d20 conan into a different system because i think we said like oh i switching characters over was quite easy so from a gm point of view as well was there any any wrinkles there or did that just kind of flow nicely as well in terms of actually sort of remembering the rules it's it's very very easy it's very quick the um you know the the barbarians of lemuria book has a load of different enemies you can just kind of flick to one that looks about right it's very easy to gauge who who you're meant to be fighting and and running the combats is extremely easy. Uh, I think it was kind of alluded to, the, the only issue I found was maybe leading players a little too much. Because it's such a, a loosey-goosey system, there is a, there is a, a tendency to uh, try and kind of push players to, well, you've got this on your character sheet. Can you think of a way of uh, using this? Or, you know, that kind of thing, where you, you don't perhaps trust that people have grasped the full implications of the system and you're worried that that's going to leave them shorthanded. Mm. 
which is you know is partly kind of insecurity of never having run the game before yeah. and wanting everybody to like it and and partly just wanting uh, wanting to make sure that people you know grasp what the system can do but in terms of actually sort of getting down to uh, a fun game it's incredibly easy to run it really is only two or three rules you need to have in your head and then you can just concentrate on making up spider I, I was quite um quite jealous after a time um i can't remember if i've told you this but i have a um a group on tuesday which is my uh my my penance party as i call it um playing D D online up to 10 players now um and we've wow. just i yeah, yeah uh, what was annoying is um when there was just four or five of them we started playing online i said look it's gonna be a lot easier because we were playing dungeon world at the time i said i think it'd be a lot easier if we just played D because there's so much more stuff that's available to us and um and then more and more players started joining the game and around that time we started playing we converted from 2d20 to barbarian barbarians of lemuria and i'm thinking god how popular would i be if i converted uh, like this dnd game into like barbarians <laughs> of lemuria game because well you know it would be a hell of a lot of easier and quicker and more fun to run than trying to wade through 10 dnd activations it's yeah yeah, there's a lot to be said for it. I can't, I'm really looking forward to running Barbarians, I have to say. There is definitely something there in that point that you've got to think about it from the GM point of view as well, because a lot of what we talk about is the player-facing element, and are the players going to get it, and do the other players enjoying it? As a GM, you've got to be able to enjoy the game you're running as well, haven't you? Otherwise, it starts to become a chore, and then you don't want to run it very often, and then that's when things start to slide. So it's good to hear that, certainly from a running point of view, it's as good fun as it looks. From the player side, if you know, it gives you huge liberty to improvise, which is, you know, it's, it's not only does it give that to the players, it gives that to the GM because it is so easy to respond with something appropriate. Oh, you didn't expect them to go into this room? Well, just have a fight in there. It's that easy to just pick out a play. You know, you don't have to worry about balancing challenge ratings and things like yeah. that. You can just throw a couple of people in the room and you've got a fight, and it is. You, it's highly responsive in that way as a system. Balancing counters suck. Ooh. Like hundred percent balancing counters. Anyone who tries to balance encounters is just doing it wrong. That sounds like an entirely different topic that could easily oh, last an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that basis, I think we're about out of time, gentlemen. Anyway, thanks for that. Has anyone got any last final parting thoughts about the Conan genre or the games we played? or any advice for perhaps perhaps if someone's coming a bit new to it and wants to uh, get involved what would you say Baz? let's let's go to you i think it's a, a it's a it's a genre i want to explore more it's maybe go back to my books i kind of want to explore sorcery i've been warned off of it in every regard from and that, and that system agnostic people say don't be a sorcerer don't go near sorcery and that that and that kind of like uh, that hazard tape across the door leading to the sorcery chapter. I kind of want to tear that down and go and have a look. So if we have got, if there is a thirty second reason why I shouldn't go and look at sorcery, I'd love to hear it now because that seems like a massive fantasy thing. And I get that it's different in the Conan genre, but what's wrong with being a wizard? I think for me, uh, while well, the others think about that, is that it's it should be in the domain of the baddies. I quite like that. So in terms of anything like Pendragon, which we're going to play in a bit as well, like there is magic in that, but it takes loads out of it and you might have to go to sleep for 10 years to, to get your spell back. So it, it, it enables you as a gem as well to do more with it. 
So it can do horrible things, but if it rots your brain as well and turns you mad or into some evil villain or some like puppet of a demon, mm. then it makes sense that only bad people are doing that. And it, and it makes me smile because it feels like a character in a Conan, like the backstory for one of those characters that you were saying, but I was like, you would be the guy who's, who's like, actually all right, really, a nice family man and all the rest of it, but can't help himself. Goes and a pock around of that evil skull with the ruby eyes. And the next thing you know, it's 20 years later and Conan's climbing the tower to try and kill him because he's now head of a snake cult or something so I, th I think in this particular setting it fits that it's in the hands of the baddies because that makes it purely a bad thing and something you should be afraid of and want to like, either avoid or fight or run away from or something what do you think guys uh, i think your description there of, of the descent of the sorcerer in a in a robert e howard style world is is spot on you know it might start with good intentions but it's it's like there's a description of the Cthulhu mythos in the in the D20 version of Call of Cthulhu, which is you know the the mythos is is mental uranium um, or plutonium, one of those two horrible minerals. Uh, you go near it and it, it it rots you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know the radiation. Even if you're just standing in proximity to it, it's going to have nasty effects on you. And yeah, yeah, you'll get power, but eventually some mighty feud barbarian is going to come up and chop your head off because you're you're evil you might not even realize that but you're evil now it might make an interesting campaign play to have someone who just start going down that path mm. it feels a little bit like warhammer where the magic corrupts so yeah you, you start off with a wizard but he doesn't last that long through the campaign because he goes wrong cool well yes we are definitely at time now with talk of evil sorceries and stuff put on past we are the characters who are going to go and end all that and I highly recommend, I think we can say, Barbarians of Lemuria for those kind of stories. So if you're playing with a different system, perhaps you use Savage Worlds or Fate or anything, let us know what it is that you use for doing Conan-type games or any hot tips that we might have missed, because we always like hearing about what you guys are playing and what you're up to. Uh, and thanks once again to our glorious guests, Matt and Rich. Thanks for coming on. Thank Great you. to hear from you. Just a wizard. <laughs> uh, thanks to you Baz I'm going to try and keep you away from any evil skulls or anything that we come across in our adventures we watch because now I know what you're up to you've never managed it so far mate yeah I know but I feel like I should try That's, it's in the long try the thought that counts okay thanks very much guys and we will see you next time on what will the smart party do cheerio Good of you to wave there, Rich. They won't see it.